Section 61 of Lay Down Your Arms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Allison Speaks. Lay Down Your Arms by Bertha von Suttner. Translated by Timothy Holmes. Chapter 15, Part 1. Summer Sojourn in Switzerland My husband's researches in the history of the Geneva Convention and in international law. Seclusion and mourning. Visit to Vienna. Frederick enters a new army, the Army of Peace. Visit to Berlin. On our way, we visit the battlefield of Sadua on All Souls' Day. The Emperor as a mourner. Aunt Cornelia, her grief, and the consolations of religion. The Army Chaplain. A military theological discussion. We are summoned to Aunt Mary's deathbed. Retired life at Vienna. Minister to be sure. Political talks. Universal liability to serve. We passed the remainder of the summer in the neighborhood of Geneva, Dr. Bresser's powers of persuasion had at last succeeded in moving us to fly from the infected country. I at first strove against leaving so quickly the graves of my family, and, as I have said, I was filled with such a resignation to death that I had become wholly apathetic and held every attempt at flight to be useless. But, in spite of all this, Bresser was certain to conquer when he represented to me that it was my maternal duty to carry little Rudolph out of the way of danger as well as I could. That we chose Switzerland as our place of refuge resulted from Frederick's wish. He wanted to become acquainted with the men who had called the Red Cross into life, and to gain information on the spot about the proceedings of the conferences which had been held, as well as about the further aims of the convention. Frederick had given in his resignation of the military service, and as a preliminary had received half a year's leave till his request should be granted. I had now become rich, very rich. The death of my father, and of my brother and two sisters, had put me in possession of Grumitz and of the whole family property. "'Look here,' I said to Frederick when the title deeds were delivered to me from the notaries. What would you say if I were now to praise the war which had just passed because of the advantages which have fallen to my share from its consequences? Why, that you would not then be my Martha. Still, I understand what you mean. The heartless egotism which is capable of rejoicing over material gains that proceed out of the ruin of others, this impulse which every individual, even if he is base enough to feel it, still takes all possible care to hide is proudly and openly confessed by nations and dynasties. Thousands have perished in untold sufferings, but we have thereby increased in territory and in power. So let there be praises and thanks to heaven for the successful war. We lived very quietly and retired in a small villa situated on the shore of the lake. I was so oppressed by the scenes through which I had gone that I would have absolutely no intercourse with any strangers. Frederick respected my mourning, and made no attempt whatever to recommend me the vulgar resource of diversion as a cure for it. I owed it to the graves at Grumitz, and my tender husband saw this well, to grieve over them for some time in perfect quiet. 
Those who had been hurried so speedily and so cruelly out of this fair world should not be equally quickly and coldly stolen also out of the place of memory which they held in my mourning heart. Frederick himself went often into the city in order to follow up the object of his stay there, the study of the Red Cross question. Of the results of this study I do not retain any clear recollection. I did not at the time keep any diary, and thus what Frederick communicated to me of the experiences he met with has for the most part passed out of my recollection. I only recollect clearly one impression which the whole of my surroundings made on me. The quiet, the ease, the cheerful activity of the people whom I happened to see, as if they were living in a most peaceful, most good-humored time. There was hardly anywhere even an echo of the war that had just ended, or at the most in a conversational tone, as if it had contributed one more interesting event, nothing more, which might furnish pleasant matter for talk along with the rest of European gossip, as if the awful thunder of the cannonades on the Bohemian battlefields had had nothing more tragic in them than a new opera by Wagner. The thing belonged now to history, and had for its result some alterations in the atlas, but its horror had passed out of recollection, or perhaps had never been present to these neutrals. It was forgotten. The pain was over. It had vanished. The same with the newspapers. I read French newspapers chiefly. All the interest was concentrated about the Universal Exhibition in Paris, which was in preparation for 1867. About the court festivities at Compiègne, about literary celebrities, Two new geniuses had come to light who caused much discussion, Flaubert and Zola. About the events of the drama, a new opera by Gounod, a new leading part designed by Offenbach for Hortense Schneider, and so forth. The little exciting duel which the Prussians and Austrians had fought out La Bas and Bohème was an event that had already become, to some extent, a thing of the past. <sighs> what lies three months back, or at thirty miles distance, what is not being played out in the domain of the now and the here is a thing which the short feelers of the human heart and the human memory cannot reach. We quitted Switzerland towards the middle of October. We betook ourselves back to Vienna, where the course of the business of my inheritance required my presence. When this business was dispatched, our intention was to stay for a considerable time at Paris. Frederick had it in his mind to smooth the way with all his power for the idea of a league of peace, and his view was that the projected universal exhibition offered the best opportunity for setting on foot a congress of friends of peace, and he also thought Paris was the most appropriate place for giving actual vitality to what was a matter of international concern. I have, he said, renounced the trade of war, and that I have done from convictions gained in actual war. I will now work for these convictions. I enter the service of the Peace Army, a very small army indeed, it is true, and one whose combatants have no other shield or sword than the sentiment of justice and the love of humanity. Still, everything which has ultimately become great has started from small or invisible beginnings. <sighs> I sighed. It is a hopeless beginning. What can you, a single man, achieve against that mighty fortress? thousands of years old and garrisoned by millions of men? Achieve? I? I am not really so foolish as to hope that I personally can bring about a conversation. I was only saying just then that I wished to enter the ranks of the peace army. When I had my place in the army of war, did I, do you suppose, hope that I 
should save my country, that I should conquer a province? No, the individual can only serve. And still further, he must serve. A man who is penetrated by any cause cannot do better than work for it, then devote his life to it, even if he knows how little this life, in and by itself, can contribute towards its victory. He serves because he must, not only the state, but our own conviction, if it is enthusiastic, lays on us the duty of defending it. You are right. And if at length there are enough millions animated by the enthusiasm of this duty, then that thousand-year-old fortress will be abandoned by its garrison and must fall. From Vienna I made a pilgrimage to Grumitz, whose mistress I had now become, but I did not even enter the chateau. I only laid down four wreaths in the churchyard and drove back again. After my most important matters of business were put in order, Frederick proposed a little journey to Berlin in order to pay a visit to Aunt Cornelia, who was so much to be pitied. I assented. During our absence I put my little son Rudolph in the charge of Aunt Mary. The latter had been cast down more than I can describe by the events of the cholera week at Grumitz. Her whole love, her whole interest in life, she now concentrated on my little Rudolph. I even hoped that she might be somewhat diverted and raised in her spirits by having the child with her for a time. We left Vienna on November 1. We broke our journey in Prague, intending to spend the night there. Next day, instead of pursuing our journey to Berlin, we made a new pilgrimage. All Souls Day, I said. How many poor dead bodies are lying on the battlefield in this neighborhood, for whom even this day of honor to the graves does nothing, because they have no graves? Who will pay them a visit? I looked at him for a while in silence. Then, half aloud, I said, Will you? He nodded. We understood one another, and in an hour we were on our way to Klum and Klonengratz. End of section 61